All right, let's get this bad boy underway. It is a Wednesday return to the field edition. We're not going to actually have pads and be hitting, but yes, the Eagles will back get back on the field today because the bye week is officially over. We are the uh, Birds 365 guys. I was going to say Mac and Mac, and yes, at some point we'll get John McMullen up here and he will join us because he has got COVID testing today, so he's uh, out for the length of the show. But that's not our loss because we get to add Jeff Kerr to the mix, who is our uh, friendly fill-in guy who does an outstanding job every time he joins us. But it's been a while because uh, McMullen didn't have to do any COVID testing last week. So good to get you back on the show, co-hosting, sitting next to me, Mr. Kerr. Are you ready for some final quarter of the NFL season football? Well, for the Eagles, it was a bye week. For me, it wasn't last week. It was just a, a normal week, I guess you could say. Just the Eagles didn't play. And it was weird because the teams I probably follow the most in this league outside of the Chiefs are the Eagles, the Colts, the Patriots, because, you know, I always keep tabs to see what these teams are doing. They were all on by last week. So I'm like, what game do I do, Jody? What game do I do? And I'm like, ah, you know what? CBS gave me uh, a thriller, one of the rare ones on Sunday. It was um, San Francisco and Cincinnati, which had playoff implications for the Eagles. So, yeah, it was an interesting week for sure. All right. So you're assigned uh, a specific game to cover every single week. You're not a uh, specific team or specific group of team guys. Yeah, so normally they like to give me, like, games in my television region, but I have Sunday tickets, so I can pretty much do any game I want. And they ask me – they usually give us our assignment Wednesday. So they ask me, oh, do you want to do 49ers Bengals? I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen Burrow that much this year. Uh, I haven't seen the 49ers since about week two or week three. So, yeah, what the heck. Uh, San Francisco looks pretty good right now, I'll say that. And, oh, by the way, yes, they uh, rallied. And, well, I shouldn't say they rallied. They rallied because they fell behind in overtime. So I guess you can say they rallied. They could have won at regulation with a late field goal. Didn't happen. So they had to score a touchdown in the overtime to win. They did just that. And got to give Jimmy G a little credit. I know that um, he is nobody's favorite quarterback and that people point to the fact that uh, when they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, uh, they rode that running game and that defense. Jimmy G didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do with it, which is accurate. But he's also won some big games for him, and he made some big plays and some big throws in that must-win last week against Cincinnati. Yeah, he knows how to get the ball to the players he needs to get the ball to. And if San Francisco ever does move on from Jimmy G, which I assume they will because they drafted Trey Lance, I think George Kittle will be a little bit upset because those two might be one of the most lethal quarterback-receiver combinations in the league. I thought Kittle has had the best week of anybody in the National Football League, as a matter of fact. All right, uh, let's turn our attention to the birds. My usual co-host, John McMullen, joins us on the uh, phones right now. Uh, JM, are you ready for a walkthrough? Wild walkthrough yeah, I, Wednesday. I, I don't know. It's been one of those days, you know. I'm a little bit late. All of a sudden, the Wi-Fi is now. It's one of those days. I'm not, you know, I'm trying to get past this COVID test, this rapid COVID test. That's number one. And we'll see. I, what number are we at, Jody? Over this the last would be, two days, uh, show number league. 177, Mr. McMullen. Now, I know 177 shows. Well, I didn't know. You're the official record keeper. But the number of COVID positives over this league over the past two days is outrageous. It was at 75 now, John. I remember I we had to do a COVID tracker at CBS yesterday. And I'm like, 
wow, this is, this is a lot of people. You don't realize it because the news just comes in and out, but I, I have a feeling it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm interested to see how the league and the union handle this uh, because I, I did uh, text with a couple of players. I mentioned to Jody yesterday, a lot of frustration out there with asymptomatic players. Um, and I think there's conversations going on from the union perspective as far as they want to how they want to handle it. And I think the natural inclination and, and you see it with the so-called en- en- enhanced protocols uh, around the league. There's, I think, seven teams now uh, where everything is ramped up and, um, you know, everybody assumes that. But, uh, you know, from the if you think about it from a vaccinated, not a not an unvaccinated standpoint, but a vaccinated standpoint, you know, I, I've heard from a couple players now. Why why are we testing asymptomatic people? In other words, you know, you, you could you know, that's why you got the vaccine in theory. Right. To, to stop from having the symptoms and uh, the real serious sickness. Um but, you know, it, it's from, in other words, from a flu standpoint, you say a lot of times you might get a bug. You, you, you don't even know it and you get through it, especially as a healthy, younger person. So that's what I keep hearing from certain NFL players. It's like, why are we getting tested when we're asymptomatic and all of a sudden it's a positive test and they don't even know they're sick until they're told they're sick. And I think that's the way a lot of the players are thinking about this. And I know this is going to create uh, Jody and I've been through this. People are going to lose their minds over this, but I'm just giving you the, the player perspective. And there's a lot of frustration around, uh, around the league when healthy guys are forced to miss games. All right. And I'll ask this question, even though it's as much to the players as it would be to, to you, John. So I'm asking you to uh, kind of, Give me your thoughts on where the players would go if faced with this question. I get the fact that if you're feeling great, you got nothing wrong with you, you feel 100%, you take a test, you're positive, guess what? Oh, you're out. Uh, And they're going, well, wait a minute, I'm perfectly fine. I understand that mindset. But they do understand that if you got it, you can pass it on to a teammate. And while most of them are perfectly fine and after being vaccinated can handle it and aren't going to get sick and are asymptomatic you pass it on to somebody else who doesn't have it yet and maybe isn't as ready to just work through it and be okay with it uh, there is more to it than just how are you feeling when you take the test you are worried about the collective team are you not well yeah and and the same thing would happen if you think about if it's just a normal flu going through the locker room you know a lot of teams try to do different things to try to stop that during uh, a normal week. And obviously this is much more serious on, on this serious end of the spectrum, but that's where the vaccinated come in. I, I, I don't think anybody's complaining about people who've chosen not to get the vaccination. They have to sit out for the 10 days. I, I from what I've heard from uh, a couple different players now is that's what we were sold. The vaccination was for uh, to protect us from serious illness, serious disease. And if it's doing it, and remember, from their standpoint, they're not sick. Like, I'm not talking about people that get sick. They're not sick, and they don't know they're sick. 
And in the case of somebody like Tyler Higby, who, who gets a false positive, is forced to sit out on Thursday night, and all of a sudden it's a false positive. I mean, this thing's a mess. But, you know, it's sort of like the everything else in the NFL. I, I, I always, you know, people complain about officiating. I said, what's the point? I always say, you know, Jody, I say, what's the point? Uh, you're not turning off the channel. So from a competitive advantage, disadvantage standpoint, they just don't care. They just don't care. They're going to go with the system. And it's more about public re- relations. It's more about signaling uh, to the public and, and not getting bad publicity than a, a sensible policy uh, and I, I know the union's getting pushback. It's interesting, though, because the union has been in lockstep with the NFL from a large uh, standpoint when it comes to COVID-19. And a lot of players aren't, aren't happy with that. John, speaking of the COVID-19 situation, uh, there is a team the Eagles are playing on Sunday that's been hit pretty hard by it, and that's the Washington yeah. Washington. You know, They're not – doesn't look like they'll have Jonathan Allen Sunday. Uh, again, it's, it's only Wednesday, but who knows? Uh, Montez Sweat, uh, who knows if he's going to be out. Uh, Chase Young's out for the year. This isn't the same team we thought we were going to see you know, a month ago, yet, yet alone at the beginning of the season. No, they're crippled. And, and you know, this is a game the Eagles obviously need to win from a standpoint uh, of uh, – making it to the playoffs it would be very very difficult if they lose this game to to make the postseason if you look at all those uh prediction sites at 538 new york times and all those types of things the projection sites um and that's under a normal standpoint when you talk about all the stuff that washington is going through i think they're at nine or ten on the COVID list, as you mentioned jeff and that doesn't even bring up the injuries the quarterback has a knee injury an elbow injury he was forced to leave the game against Dallas. Um, they lost their center, who's their backup center, Tyler Larson, uh, to a to a torn Achilles. Terry McLaurin's in concussion protocol. I mean, they're an absolute mess. They're 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 on a tee. Uh, I mean, if the Eagles don't win this football game, they don't deserve to make the playoffs. And the way you know, the one player Montez Sweat, I think could. Uh, He's unvaccinated, so he had to sit out the 10 days. I think he's eligible to come back on Saturday. So there's a chance the Eagles could see him, but he, he was out before with a fractured jaw, so he hasn't played, and now he hasn't been able to practice. I, I mean, yeah, it, they're just – it looks even on paper. It's not even on paper. John, let's bring it uh, back to the Eagles. Uh, you noted uh, either Monday or yesterday on the show that uh, the first regathering of the Eagles is going to be a walkthrough. It is a practice, but it's not a full-fledged practice. It's going to be a walkthrough. And this is what it's become over the last month with the Eagles walkthrough Wednesday. They're not pushing their players. They are trying to preserve them for the long run in the 17 games. And I think for the most part, it's worked because the Eagles have not had massive injuries. They, like everybody in the NFL, have some. Uh, nobody gets off injury-free. Uh, who's your favorite guy, Brent Selleck? 100% guaranteed you're going to get injured at some point. I, I get the point he's trying to make. Um, are you going to see enough that you're going to know or feel good, when I say feel good, 80 85% as to who's going to be the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday? 
Um, yeah, I expect that. I mean, obviously, we'll get a better indication today. Certainly before the buy, uh, it was all indications it was going to be Jalen Hurts. I don't see any reason uh, it's going to be any different after the buy, uh, other than if he tweaked himself uh, working out uh, during the bye week. Uh, so we'll we'll get a better indication. Uh, again, with a walkthrough, you're only gone, going to get an estimated practice report. Uh, so it's uh, you know uh, an estimation, and and but it'll be the same designations as far as uh, didn't practice, limited practice, that type of thing. So uh, you'll get a feel for not only Jalen Hurts but also uh, uh, Jordan Howard. Um, and, and most notably, and, and, and Jason Kelsey, which probably is the biggest one. Uh, right, to me. We, all, we all know Jason's going to try to play, no, I, was gonna uh, say. I think. But he looked pretty banged up when he left the field against the New York Jets. Now, I've said that before. Uh, when he hyperextended his elbow, I said, all right, well, he's not coming back, and he's back. Um, so he's done this in the past. All indications are he's going to try to play. And with Miles Sanders, you know, he's been dealing with that ankle injury, his own ankle injury, and he probably got a chance to calm it down a, at least a little bit with the week off. Uh, but he's been starting. And I said, with Miles, you know, he's going to play. It's a, can he finish? Because uh, he's been starting and he's not been able to finish. Uh, but, you know, he's going to be out there. So, uh, Charles, uh, go ahead, Joey. Go ahead. Uh, the only thing I was going to add to it was, you got to find out nothing about Kelsey today because there's no way he's going to play a walkthrough. No, he's going to be on veteran rest. Uh, so, and like you say, with a lot of these players, you can't judge by what they say. The, you have to judge it for yourself with your own eyes. Uh, there's no way, you know, Kelsey, if Kelsey tells you that he's guaranteed to play, I don't know that it means he is guaranteed to play. Uh, he's a different uh, uh, animal than Jalen Hurts at this point. I think you have to be able to see Jalen with your own two eyes. I don't trust my eyes with Kelsey, other than if there's any way, shape, or form Kelsey can go, he's going to go on Sunday because he's Jason Kelsey, and that's always the way he's been. Yeah, no question about it. And you're right. He's typically been given Wednesdays off anyway uh, to try to get through the week uh, as a better, as a lot of players are. Fletcher Cox as well gets a lot of Wednesdays off at this point uh, of the season, you know, but one thing is, um, and, and Jalen kind of mucked this up, Jalen Hurts, because he talked to us. Uh, typically injured players don't talk when there's a chance they're not going to play. And Jalen Hurts, uh, if you remember, uh, talked to us, um, uh, you know, in, in, in front of the, in advance of the Jets game. And said he was going to play and he was fine. And all of a sudden he wasn't. <laughs> Whereas if you look at Jason Kelsey, who was injured, you know, coming out of the Giants game as well, people forget. Miles Sanders injured, had to leave early. They spoke. They said they were going to play and they played. And that's typically the way it goes. If media relations is going to give us a player, it means they're going to play. Um, so if, if Jason talks today, for instance, it gives you a little bit more information. So there are things you can kind of discern uh, just from what's going on. And if he's limited, remember, 
it's a mental practice, as I said yesterday, more than a physical. And if he's listed as limited, because you're not doing anything anyway, you could, it's an estimation. You can estimate anybody as anything. Uh, that's a clear indication he would play. So we'll see how it goes. But you're right. You have to see. And that's why we go down there and try to uncover these rocks. John, regarding the Jason Kelsey news, say he misses game for the first time in, what, 118 games. Do they go with Nate Herbert at center? Yeah, I would think that would be the most likely way uh, they would go. I talked to Stout a lot over the years, and he does not like moving parts. Uh, so, you know, people have speculated, well, do you take Landon Dickerson? And he's settled down now at, at left guard. Do you move him to center and, 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 and play, whether it would be, um, you know, Nate Herbig at left guard uh, um, because he's a better guard than a center? Well, then you're upsetting two positions, and he doesn't—he doesn't like to do that. You know, curveball could be Brandon Brooks. That's another one we have to get some information on him. Nick Sirianni claims there's going to be an update. We'll see later this morning if there's an update. If it's a miracle, I can't imagine he'd play this week. Uh, I think the most hopeful Eagles fans would be is if. Um, they start his 21 day practice window and try to get him ready uh, for some of these games late in the season. I think that would be a very positive step and probably the most positive step you could hope for. But if, if it's a home run, if it's a, a, an amazing, Hey, he's ready to go. He practiced three days and you put him at right guard. Then you have more interesting conversations and then you might feel a little bit more comfortable uh, moving a Dickerson, but I, I, I think that's a, a real long shot. Understood, except for our buddy Ed Kratz, who came up short of guaranteeing, but said, don't be surprised if it's going to be fun to see if he's, uh, we'll get, you'll, you'll get your first information today and see where it plays from there on Brooks. All right, uh, the only guy who's in the protocol for the Eagles as compared to 10 Washington uh, football players right now in the protocol. So that's a major advantage Eagles, but losing Quez Watson is not an advantage Eagles. As you know, John, for better part of a couple of months now, I've been screaming, why is Jalen Rager still playing? Well, not only is he going to play, he's going to move up to wide receiver number two. And Ron Rivera is a pretty smart coach. He's going to know, all right, I need to stop Dallas Scott and Devonta Smith and try and let anybody else beat me. Who's going to catch the ball for the Eagles. How are they going to replace Quez Watkins if he's not good enough to go? Much like Allen, he could get two negative tests between now and Sunday. But if Quez is out of the lineup on Sunday, who's going to get those wide receiver reps? Um, hey, Jalen Rager. <laughs> and I, I know that's not going to make you happy, Joe. I don't think it's going to make any uh, Eagles fan happy. But, you know, 4 o'clock every day is going to be any every NFL team across the country is crossing their fingers because that's uh, when the transaction wire uh, starts to be cobbled together and everybody's saying, oh, who's on the COVID list uh, this week, today? Uh, and that could change. That could change Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all the way up to the game. You might see somebody being added, taken off, uh, the COVID-19 list. And from the Eagles standpoint, no, it's not good. But if you compare it to the other team, you're in good shape. So, you know, 10 to 1, I'll take 10 to 1. 
I'll, I'll take the one. I mean, the Eagles aren't good at receiver. It generally, I, I mean, their wide receiver too, Quez Watkins, is one of the weakest uh, second wide receivers in the league. So it's an issue any week when there's no issues and you're completely healthy. Um, they need to get better at that position at some point, and that's really more of an off-season discussion. Uh, but, yeah, they'll have to cobble it together. And whether it's John Hightower, they protected him uh, from the practice squad, so maybe he has – maybe that's a tea leaf that tells you he has an advantage over Deion Kane or, or somebody like that, uh, another practice squad receiver, you know, Maybe something, maybe your guy, Greg Ward, gets another opportunity. Maybe J.J. Ortega-Whiteside gets a better, gets another opportunity. And maybe they do something. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal because Quez doesn't offer that much production either. And about the only production he's had over the past month is when Gardner Minshew was in the game. And Gardner Minshew's not going to be in the game. So, it's going to be a lot of Devontae Smith and a lot of Dallas Goddard when they do pass the ball. And that's where you got to cross the fingers and hope those guys don't get on the COVID-19 list over the next couple of days. John, one of the debates I had over the last 24 hours was, and you, know, you and I have mentioned this about the Eagles receivers. They just don't have anything right now. So how can you fairly evaluate this quarterback knowing the lack of pass catchers he has outside of, Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. Well, I, I think, you know, part of it is, and I and I hate to uh, compare anyone to superstar quarterbacks, but you, you've seen guys, most notably Aaron Rodgers, elevate receivers. And, you know, Marta, Mar, uh, obviously we all know Devontae Adams, but if you look at Scantling, Equin, Equin, how do you say his name? Equin, yeah. Uh, if you look at his other receivers, they ain't, they ain't good. And, and, you know, Alan Lazard, but they make plays occasionally because the quarterback elevates the talent around him. Now, again, it's not fair to compare, uh, any quarterback or, or certainly very few quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers. Um, but it, you saw it in a much, much lesser degree against the New York Jets. And as Jody will point out, we have to put that caveat on there. It's the Jets. So I'm saying that. But Gardner Minshew got to start because of the injury. And all of a sudden, we just talked about Quez Watkins was back involved. Not to a, a, a great degree. It wasn't spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. But it was three catches and three targets. And he contributed a little bit something to the win, which he had not been doing. So from my standpoint, that alone gives you some information about evaluating the quarterback. It, it's... You know, Jonathan Gannon likes to talk about defense. It's He always says it's cover and rush, rush and coverage. Always says it, constantly says it. it it's coupled. Yes, I mean, it, it hurts the quarterback when the receivers aren't top tier, uh, and I think that's pretty obvious to everyone. But the quarterback can elevate receivers as well, and we see it all the time in this league. Uh, and... 
I we haven't seen that from Jalen Hurts, and that's not the strength of his game, and that's right now, and that's not to say he can't evolve and he can't get better. Uh, but that alone, the fact that he hasn't been able to get the lesser receivers in the game, it gets it gives you some information. It, it does give you some information when it comes to an evaluation standpoint. All right, John, one more replace Quince Watkins question, then we'll move on to other things. Um, Quez gets 50 some odd snaps every single year. You average, go back. Some games, Eagles have more snaps. Some get to have left. But let's use 50 as a nice round number that uh, Quez was uh, potentially going to take this week if he didn't have COVID. And he may yet take it. This might be a conversation that we're having that turns out to be moot. Uh, but assuming he doesn't uh, come back and clear protocols before Sunday's game. Of those 50 snaps, if I told you 25 of them are going to be Eagles in two tight end sets, knowing full well that's not their preference, but you have to put somebody on the field and if you don't have confidence in J.J. Arcega-Whiteside or Greg Ward or uh, Hightower coming up from the practice squad, maybe it's just best to go to tight end uh, when we question how many snaps Rager got, the fact that Rager got more snaps than Devonta Smith, the answer was, well, we we're in 12 and 13 uh, formation. So uh, we had no issues, no problems putting those guys out there. In other words, they can block better than Devonta, and we don't want to risk Devonta hurt getting, uh, getting hurt and blocking. Do you think we see a lot of multi-tight end sets out of the Eagles on Sunday? Uh, if they're winning, and I expect them to be winning, um, I, I think it's going, you look at the two games, right? Detroit, the blowout in Detroit and, and the game against the Jets specifically where they just ran the football the entire second half. I mean, the entire second half. And obviously in Detroit, they should have. Um, it, with the Jets, it, you know, again, it's the Jets. It didn't look as, as, as big as a blowout on the scoreboard, but it wasn't close. We all know. We all saw it wasn't a close game. They felt very comfortable. Um, so then, yeah, I expected to go a lot like the Jets game with 12 and 13 and probably Jalen Rager out there. What, what they inlet on, and you said better blocker, they don't think he's a better blocker. They, it, it's more about uh, injury. And the fact, in other words, if they wanted to pass out of 13 or they wanted to pass out of 12, Devontae Smith would be on the field. But they didn't want to pass. So, as I kind of said, and they're not going to say it, but they wink-winked it behind the scenes. You know, if you're in 13 and you know you're going to run the ball, why, why are you going to put the 166-pound kid to set the edge? It doesn't make any sense. And honestly... I'm on board 100% with the coaching staff. Makes no sense whatsoever. You don't know what can happen there, Jody. He can get rolled up, um, some some silly injury. You, you're protecting Devontae Smith. And I know a lot of people uh, got upset because Rager had more snaps. And that was just really – you hear it a lot from coaches how the game went. That was really how the game went. If they needed to throw the football – Obviously, Devontae Smith is going to go out there. And even if it's a close game and they're more balanced and they're just trying to win the game, Devontae Smith is going to be out there. The only reason he was out there is because of the situation and the understanding that we're just going to run the ball, let him set the edge. You know, you hate to say it, 
but I've used that term. Christ has dummy. dummy. That's what yeah. you want to ask. I, mean, I knew you were go, where you're going, Jay Mac. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I, football's a, a hard sport, man. And when you put it in those terms, people hate it. But that's the reality of the situation. One guy you can be without, and it, it's not a concern. Another guy you can't be without. John, I keep looking at the Eagles' schedule. I think nine wins will be enough to get them in, especially if they win these next three games. I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on their path to the playoffs. And do you think nine wins will be good enough to get that seven seed? Um, it, it, it's yeah. I think I think the seven seed is going to have nine wins. So it, it comes down obviously tiebreak because you have this logjam and and really five different teams. Now the Eagles are in very good shape. Uh, because they beat Atlanta, they beat New Orleans, um, and they play Washington twice, so they can take care of their business against one of the other six and seven teams, which leaves Minnesota. And Minnesota uh, has still has Green Bay and the LA Rams on their schedule, so you know they, you really don't have to worry about them either. So if the Eagles handle their business. And by handle their business, I mean beat a crippled Washington team, beat a disaster of a New York Giants team, which is even more of a disaster the last time they disappointed uh, against them, and then beat Washington again. Yeah, I think they're going to be in the playoffs, even no matter what happens in week 18. If Dallas has to play, if Dallas doesn't have to play, if Dallas has to play, they're going to lose that game. If they don't have to play, uh, they're probably going to win it. And, you know, Jody had asked last week, is it more likely the Eagles uh, uh, go 4-0 down the stretch or 0-4? I think there's no chance they go 0-4. Um, I think there's a very small chance they go 4-0. Uh, but you also have to throw in that Giants game for this reason, the first Giants game. Six and seven teams are six and seven teams, and they're not consistent, and they don't show up with their A game every week. So you look at things on paper like this week and say, well, 10 guys on the COVID list, all these injuries, they should beat the Washington football team. You know, maybe the Eagles are reading that. Oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. Maybe they show up with their C game. They don't play well. That's what six and seven teams tend to do. So you still got to go out there and do it. But, you know, right now Washington is that seventh seed. But if you go to these sites, uh, 538, New York Times, the, the, the prediction sites, they all have the Eagles having the biggest chance to make the playoffs at this point because of what I just explained about the schedule, basically. And it's going to be on Coach Nick Sirianni to make sure – they don't read the press clippings and they don't come in and go, yeah, we just got to take care of our business and yeah, we're in good shape. And yeah, we don't have to be uh, pressurized and like, no, you want them to feel a little bit of pressure. And uh, that's the coach's job is to make sure they're in the correct mindset and prepped correctly for the game. We'll see how Sirianni does that because as a first year coach, he hasn't faced uh, something like this just yet. Um, I want to run this by both of you two guys. Really interesting point made by your friend, our friend. I'm sure everybody recognizes the name, Kevin Cooney, a uh, longtime writer here in town, sports writer, who jumped on my uh, WIP show last night. We were talking about the quarterback, 
and he said everybody's got an opinion. He already has enough information to say he'd prefer not to go forward with Jalen Hurts as their starting quarterback next year. I'm still more open-minded than that. Others have decided he's not the guy going forward. And I go, all right, Kevin, then where are you going if not Jalen Hurts? Uh, give me, uh, I'll give you guys a hypothetical. You know my favorite, John. Um, you're not getting Russell Wilson. He's staying in uh, Seattle or ends up somewhere else. Not getting Aaron Rodgers. I think that's a really foregone conclusion. And Deshaun Watson's uh, law run-ins, lawsuits um, have not been settled. And the Eagles aren't ready to take him on if there's a possibility he could end up in jail as soon as he puts on uh, his Eagle uniform. So those three guys are out. If I told you your other choices are stay with Jalen Hurts, Take a quarterback in the draft. The Eagles' picks have faltered a little bit because they keep winning. Miami keeps winning. Um, the Colts right now are a playoff team, so that pick would be in the 20s. Uh, three picks are three picks, and you have the ability to use them and couple them and move up and down, but they're not as high up as they were a couple of weeks ago. Let's say by the time your first pick comes up, you're going to get the second quarterback off the board. One of the two uh, top ones has come off. Uh, either Corral or, or uh, picking someone, someone's going to come off the board, but you can, if you want, you can take the second best quarterback in the college draft, or I give you another option. What would you think about Derek Carr being traded to the Eagles? He's got one year left on his deal. It's a now reasonable $19 million. Sounds like a lot of money, but that's almost cheap for a quarterback it's the last year of his deal, which means you can bring him in, you can try and resign him, or you can bring him in and say, go out and go nuts, Derek, and then we'll talk to you afterwards. But you could end up just renting him for a year if he has a big year and he decides he wants to go play somewhere else, West Coast guy, blah, blah, blah. What would you think about the Eagles trading for Derek Carr going into 2022? John, you first. Well, yeah, I, I kind of saw that. I don't know where it, 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 it manifested from. I, I don't know why the Raiders – remember, John Gruden's out. Uh, John Gruden was at the, the precipice of a lot of that. Are the Raiders going to move on from, from Derek Carr because John Gruden falls in love and out of love with quarterbacks as quick as anybody in human history. Um, so he's always looking for – the bigger and better deal, so to speak. Now that he's gone, and who knows who the coach is going to be. Um, look, I, I, I think Jalen Hurts boils down to a simple thing, and I wrote, I wrote about this. It'll be in Philly Mag today. The Eagles will try to improve at the quarterback position in the offseason. If they can, they will. If they can't, they won't. So. I think everybody has been focused on this one year. We got to get, we got to give Jalen Hurts one year. He's got one year. The Eagles got to make a decision. No, they know they can kick the can down the road. They can play him again for another year. That's probably the most likely scenario at this point. As far as picking guys up, look, if, if Deshaun Watson re uh, revisits his no trade clause, puts Philadelphia on the list, uh, I think they would trade for Deshaun Watson. I know they would trade for Russell Wilson. He's their white whale. We've talked about that. Again, he would have to uh, put the Eagles and waive his no trade clause and, and put them in a conversation. 
I, I agree with you with Aaron Rodgers. And then the evaluation standpoint in the draft, it, it is all about, do they like Kenny Pickett? They got three first-round picks, go up and get him. Do they like Matt Corral? You got three first-round picks, go up and get him. Wherever you got to go up and get. That all depends on what they think of the particular player. And if they don't, if they evaluate them negatively and say, not necessarily negatively, but you get my point. Well, we don't know if this guy's going to be a star. Uh, then you just kick the can down the road. And, and, and I really think it's that simple for the Eagles. If they can improve at the position, and Derek Carr's, I got off on a tangent. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, he'd be a guy that you can improve at the position. I have no idea why the Raiders would want to get rid of that guy at this point. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the line of thinking. Rebuild. They, they've reached a point. They did. They took the shot with Gruden. Didn't work out. All the things around it that tie into it. Maybe they move away from Mike Mayock as their general manager as well. They say, we got to tear it down. And when we say tear it down, we mean almost to the studs to build it back up again. They just say this Raider era, Gruden, Carr, Mayock, whatever is over. We got to start from scratch. That would be the reason that they would trade Derek Carr. Yeah, I, I well, number one, you know, I you don't have to do that in the NFL. Uh, you could you could rebuild on the fly. He's I think he's thirty years old, so he's got a he's got a number of, of good years in front of him. And at one time, the highest paid player in football, as you noted, uh, Jody. Now he's a bargain. On top of it, from from the standpoint of what you typically have to play, play pay veteran quarterbacks in this league, so. I think, you know, the outlier was Gruden always when it came to Derek Carr and the Raiders and whomever they bring in at GM, if they if they fire Mike Mayock, whoever they hire to be head coach is going to be more sensible about the quarterback and say, you know what, our quarterback is pretty good. He's in the conversation. You always want the superstar, always, you know. But there's only a finite number of them, and I don't—I certainly don't put Derek Carr in that category. But I put him in the category that I always use. My quarterback is probably better than your quarterback, and Derek Carr is in that category. If I'm a Raiders fan, he's better than more quarterbacks in this league than than, and and, and so the contextual aspect of it is, he's pretty good, and I don't think they would want to go in that direction. This is how. Uh, good. Yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff, good. Just follow up. How do you rate Carr? If you could acquire Carr for a reasonable uh, deal package, would you want to extend him? Would you want to give him uh, 30 plus million per year and put four more years on the back end of the deal? Do you think Carr's that kind of quarterback that you would look to do if you were the Eagles? You know, you it, is, it is an interesting question. I, I would say yes. One, you're making the, the head coach happy. He can he can run the offense he wants to run. I think people hear that number 30 million. They go, oh, 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 well, you know, the salary cap's going up. It's going to really spike in 2023. Uh, that's not going to be an outrageous number. Uh, he's a good player. He's a good player. And remember what you're doing if you draft. You, you understand, even with Jalen Hurts, as you're going through it as the evolution. This is a years-long process. It would be a years-long process 
if you drafted Kenny Pickett or, or Matt Corral or anybody in 2023 20, uh, as well. Young quarterbacks take time. Um, and that's why you look at proven quarterbacks and the Deshaun Watsons. Again, this is <laughs> – I always have to put the condition on it because the people don't hear the condition, Jody. Obviously, if the legal implications get cleaned up to the point where you can move forward, Russell Wilson, um, these are proven commodities. Derek Carr is a proven commodity, not to the talent level of those players. Well, you could win a lot of football games if you, if you put the right pieces around Derek Carr. The year Derek Carr had an actual good offensive line, the Raiders won 12 games. Let's put Derek Carr – behind the Eagles offensive line with that running game and with an innovative offense to give him a little bit more receivers. And again, maybe Quez Watkins and guys like that are better, but you know, I'm going to assume the Eagles get more weapons on the outside for him. I think Devonta Smith becomes, you know, pretty much a pro bowler at the very least with a Derek. Oh, I, the Devonte Smith's numbers would, just spiked to a ludicrous. He's one of those high volume passers I talk about, Jody. I mean, if he's out there, I I, I obviously don't have his numbers in front of me, but I, I got to believe he's near 4,000 uh, over the past five or six years. I mean, he's consistent uh, uh, throwing the football, good, bad, and different talent around him. He can get the football to his receivers and his playmakers. And that's what Nick Sirianni wants as well. So you have to have, you have to put that in the equation. Derek Carr's numbers have been better every year. This year, notwithstanding, because he's trying to do too much. But I think from like 2017 to 2019, he was like one of the few quarterbacks with like 20 plus uh, touchdowns and like fewer than 10 interceptions. And, or obviously, you know, this year he has double digit picks, but he doesn't have a good offensive line. He's trying to do too much. When he plays bad, that team just gets blown out. When he plays well, as we saw against the Eagles, the Raiders win games. It's it's either Derek Carr or bust for that team right now. Yeah, Derek Carr, three consecutive years of over uh, 4,000 yards passing. Uh, there's only a handful of passers in the league that can make that claim that the last three years in a row they've, over been, four, they've been over 4,000 yards. So, uh, John, as you describe him, volume passer. Yeah, that's what Derek Carr is. I'd not even considered Derek Carr, and there's a lot of hurdles to get over. Uh, you're right. I don't know that the Raiders would want to deal him. It's got to be a specialized directional decision that the organize, organization makes. We're taking it down to build it back up again. Otherwise, they're just going to keep their car, and they're going to be the ones who give them the extension. But I had not considered him as an eagle possibility for quarterback, and it's intriguing. I doubt it's going to happen, but it is intriguing. All right, uh, JM, we uh, hope you pass the COVID test. Um, all you guys got to get down there and take that test. I think uh, I hope it's, it's good for all of you guys. Um, do you think the Eagles try and keep uh, the amount of time that they let you into the quote-unquote walkthrough even more limited than usual? What's it going to be like down there at the Novacare Complex? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, because of the bye week, we have rapid tests. We have to sit around and wait for uh, – they generally take about 30 or 60 minutes to come in. Um, so you got to wait. Who, who, do you, who do you sit next to during that 30 minutes? Well, Does it have to be you're 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 not awesome on it. You're either in your car or 
uh, we generally mill out in the open air. Uh, we just all sit there and wait for the text that says uh, we passed or we're a leper, one or the other. <laughs> well, one of one's leper, then don't you all have to go get tested again? Yeah, good point. No, we don't, Jeff. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, but that's another story for another day. Well, Again, it's all for show. I hate to a, say Have it, a good day today, whatever that result happens to be. I'll see you back here tomorrow, brother. Thanks. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. John McMullen, usual co-host of the show here with us on uh, Birds 365, who, yes, got to get a little uh, thing up his nose today. He does it every single week. Uh, he is a diehard Eagles beat reporter, and uh, we're glad that uh, he's here with us every day on Birds 365. I'm glad Jeff Kurtz with me today. Got a bunch of things to get into, uh, Eagles versus the Washington football team, but a couple league-wide issues as well. Um, next hour on the show, we're going to have Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. He's a national uh, football writer, covers the entire league. We'll get his thoughts on the Eagles, but also uh, one of Yahoo's top draft guys, so we just talked about Derek Carr. We'll get his take on how this year's quarterback draft uh, compares to everybody else. And Eagles with three first-round draft picks can fill some holes this year if they don't have to go to the quarterback position. So Eric, get home a little bit later. We'll hop aboard with us in hour number two. But right now, glad to have Jeff Kerr with me, Jody McDonald, here on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, 
and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at MessaLaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. You got Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Thank John McMullen for hopping on. And when I say thank, I mean thank you because, yeah, he's got other work to do. But he makes sure that he's here part of uh, 365 on a day-in, day-out basis. Oh, I like the job he does. Do you like the job we do here on Birds 365? Then hit that like button right now. Share us. Subscribe to us. We could we could use a little love here, which I'm going to get to in just a second. But I hope you guys show it to us here on Birds 365. Hit that like button for us uh, as uh, we continue to talk about the Eagles and the Red, uh, the Washington football team. Um, but before we go there, I want your take on this, Jeff Kirk, because we had a, a good show yesterday and then a fun show after the show is over and done. Well, here's what I mean by that. Uh, the fine producer of this show, Xander Kraus, um, after we do a show, will highlight a quote or two from the guests we have on and then put it out on Twitter. And yesterday chose one that got a lot of responses. A lot of peop- people hopped on Twitter and wanted to get their two cents in about something that our friend Marcus Hayes said yesterday on the show. Uh, he said that he thinks Jeff Stoutland is the best non-head coach the Philadelphia Eagles have ever had as a coach. A good number of people came to the defense of the since departed uh, Jim Johnson that he was the best non-head coach the Philadelphia Eagles have ever had. They're both phenomenal uh, assistant coaches. Um, And I think it's a toss-up between the two. But some people got really, and I mean, uh, and I'm included on these tweets. So just uh, when I was going through them yesterday, that people just kept going and going and going. And they really were opinionated about it. So I need Jeff Kerr's opinion. Uh, Marcus's slant was Stoutland, the greatest non-head coach the Eagles have ever had on their staff. Him, Jim Johnson, somebody else. Are we missing someone, Jeff Kerr? Uh, Fun little side topic to talk about. How would you? Because you're a guy who appreciates the history of the Eagles. How would you rank uh, the non-head coaches of the Birds? I jumped on this, and I don't want to jump on Marcus too much. I don't want to insult him because it would have sounded like that in a tweet, but I can say it on here. And he was a head coach for the Eagles, although that tenure was disastrous. But – if Marcus Hayes could tell me without looking up on Google who the Swamp Fox was, then maybe I take it more seriously because Marion Campbell was a damn good defensive coordinator in this town for a lot of seasons. And he is probably as much of a reason as Dick Vermeil was for turning around that franchise. Really? Moment. Yeah. it's You believe that, huh? The Eagles had a top five defense for a lot of years under Marion Campbell. And then, they gave him the reins after Dick, and yeah, it didn't go well. Uh, that guy could not 
That guy could not call a play. That guy could not. He just couldn't run a football team. He was a pretty damn good defensive coordinator for a lot of years. He got, you know, he made probably made Claude Humphrey a Hall of Famer if you think about it, because Claude Humphrey was a very good football player when he came to Philadelphia. He had 38 sacks or something around there in his three years with the Eagles in his mid 30s. Marion Campbell knew how to blitz. He got the most out of what he had. You know, Bill Berge was probably on his last knees at that point. And still played, well, not as well as he did in the mid-70s, but he was good enough. You know, Randy Logan was a really good player for a lot of years for that team. Uh, Herman Edwards, you know, he became a star under Marion Campbell. There were a lot of good football players on that 80s Eagles defense that I know everybody likes to oh, what are you doing in the Super Bowl? Well, they were pretty good for pretty much that entire season. I mean, I think that was more Dick, you know, putting the iron fist on him, but Marion Campbell doesn't get enough credit in this town. Maybe that's because the Twitter crowd is younger or the ones that do remember Marion Campbell remember him being the disaster of the head coach between Dick Vermeil and Buddy Ryan. I Look, and Jim Johnson's up there for me. Jeff Statler's up there for me. Juan Castillo's up there for me. Again, another one who doesn't get the credit he deserves because the Eagles decided to Andy Reid decided, I'm going to make him a defensive coordinator. I'm going to make my really good No, 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 no. That, that's where I'll hop in because I yeah. was on the air here in Philadelphia at the time. That was much more Juan Castillo's idea than, than yeah, Andy yeah, yeah. Juan yeah. wanted to expand yeah. his horizons because he wanted to eventually become head coach, and he felt that he had been pigeonholed as an offensive line coach. He wanted to be uh, something other than – what he was great at, which your point of him not getting enough credit as an offensive line coach, I think is dead on. Uh, but it wasn't like uh, Andy Reid one day woke up and go, yeah, let me make Juan Castillo something other than what he is. No, that was Juan. The Juan, Juan wanted to uh, give himself a better resume. It, it, that's that's not this fair. Is where I gotta, this is where I got to – I don't want to say disagree, but Andy Reid should have said no because – Juan Castillo is solely responsible for pretty much Andy Reid's demise in Philadelphia. Maybe Andy Reid is winning all these games at Patrick Mahomes in Philadelphia if if it wasn't for Juan Castillo. Who knows? True, because Andy could have shut it down, but Andy liked to give his coaches. And and while you're looking at it as an Eagle fan, the only thing you care about is what's best for the organization. Andy Reid, good guy, good human being. He thought that it wouldn't be that bad a, a turnout. So he wants to do what's right for the guys who are working hard for him underneath. That's why he gave uh, John Harbaugh the chance to be a positional coach. Because Harbaugh, too, was special teams coach and said, yeah, I need to expand my horizons if I'm going to become a head coach. And he did. So he became a positional coach and he, got, and he went on to be a head coach. So Andy Reid did the right thing for both what he thought at the time was the team and the individual. He's trying to do the same thing for Juan Castillo. Now, now here, here's what I want to add to the question here, Jody. Are we counting guys that I don't want to say they had better success somewhere else, but they were still pretty good here. Like I like Bud Carson. Do we, we consider him in that Steve Spagulo? Do we consider those guys or is, is it their impact here? That's a very fair question. And oh, by the way, you can, you can consider it any way you want. I'm just throwing it out there to you now. It wasn't a hard and fast, like taking a quiz in school that you have to adhere to the question. We were just reacting to the statement that Marcus made, which was Jeff Stoutland is the best coach who wasn't a head coach that the Eagles have ever had. So you can take it any way you want it and formulate your answer any way you want it. I kind of, I tried to leave it open, open-ended for you the same way our uh, people on the stream yesterday during the show. And then on Twitter after the show, 
responded to it. You can go anywhere you want with a car. Well, yeah, well, that, that was the thing. That's why when I thought about Marion Campbell, I'm like, well, he was a head coach here, but he's a pretty good assistant here. And you know, the Eagles have had a lot of good assistants here that became head coaches. I mean, John Groom was a really good assistant coach here, and he eventually became a head coach because he was good here. I mean, the guy won with Ty Detmer and Rodney Pete, for goodness sake. So it, it, it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting topic. We're going never been a head coach at any for any team in the NFL – Jeff Statlin's definitely up there, but you can't ignore guys like Jim Johnson. You, you just can't. Bud Carson's the same way. You just can't ignore these guys. Right. That, what I, I think the point that Mark was trying to make, and only Marcus can say for sure, was during their period in the employee of the Philadelphia Eagles, when they were a coach but not the head coach, evaluate what they did for this team at this time, what they did for another team, if they went on to become a head coach, your uh, stance with Marion Campbell really should be irrelevant, that you're talking about what he did when he wasn't the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Whether he was a great head coach, no. Whether he was a bad head coach, yes. That should be irrelevant to the conversation we're having here, which is just, no, evaluate what he did when he wasn't the head coach of the Eagles, whether he became a head coach for anybody else or whatever, or if he moved on to another team and had the similar position or a different position. Shouldn't matter either. I think the point that Mark was trying to make was while they were a co coach on the Eagles, not the head coach, but a coach on the Eagles, how would you rank the uh, best coaches that fall into that category of all time? By the way, we, I forgot to mention one guy who I go to a lot of his press conferences and he's a very smart individual. And oh, by the way, he's the better of the brothers in coaching John Harbaugh. Uh, John Harbaugh was fantastic here. His what, nine, 10 years with the Eagles, you know, Excellent special teams coach. Got the most out of that special teams. The Eagles always seem to have a good return man under him. They always seem to have to protect the wedge. I don't remember them giving up that many kick returns with touchdowns or having that many blunders with John Harbaugh in there. And John Harbaugh, like Andy Reid always used to praise John Harbaugh all the time. And when he got the, the Ravens job, I'm like, oh, you know what? He could be pretty good at this. And, you know, for a guy who got just destroyed for his decisions on Sunday – and they go, you know, if, I got to critique my colleague, Phil Sims here. He goes, well, let me give the analytics people, you know, why don't we get the analytics people up here? I'm like, hold on a second, Phil. If you listen to the press conference, John Harbaugh gave a thorough and deep explanation why he went for two as early as he did, why he did this. And he said, you know, I'm trying to set up for later down the road. And everything made sense with John Harbaugh. That, John Harbaugh really is kind of ahead of his time when it comes to head coaches. Two weeks running. I was in lockstep with John Harbaugh with his mindset of why he did what he did when he did it. They had only one big problem on the uh, two-point conversion. It could have tied the game. you got to get Lamar Jackson out of the pocket. How do you keep the best running quarterback, the best mobile quarterback, the best make-something-happen-with-his-legs quarterback in the pocket on the most important play of the game? I'm sorry, the Steelers made a great play, got in the passing lane, made it a difficult pass, and he wasn't good enough to put it on Andrews on that play. No, that's on the coach. you got to get him out of the pocket on the play. Go for it. Oh, yeah, you should absolutely go for two. This past week, go for it early for two. Yeah, because that way you have more time if you don't get it to try and get another possession. Everything he said and explained, I agreed wholeheartedly except I didn't like the play call. I'm the biggest play of them all when they couldn't convert on the two-point game. You know what's sad about that whole thing, Joey? I agree with you. I think you got to roll Lamar out too, but the play did. The play call was 
it did work. It's just Lamar didn't make the throw, but I agree with you. I think you got to get Lamar out of pockets and give him that option. Hey, you know what? Go for it or j- just throw it to Morgan. It, 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 it's weird. Like, if Lamar just puts a better ball on that, they score easily. But right. But, so. but here's why I disagree with you the way you just stated the play call worked. No, it didn't because they didn't finish the play. If you finish the play, the play call worked. If you don't, it didn't. And, yes, it was a good defensive play. I think it was Watt coming off the edge. Uh, and he got into the passing lane, and he made it a difficult pass, and Lamar couldn't connect on that difficult pass. So, uh, no, I, I think he made the wrong play call, and the play call didn't work. It would have worked better if he got him out of the pocket. All right, Jeff Gardner McDonald hanging out with you on Birds 365. Come back. We'll get back into the matchup coming up on Sunday between the Washington football team and the Eagles. Coming up next hour, Eric Edholm, who I've had on my uh, CBS Sports Radio show uh, several times. Good national uh, beat writer for the entire NFL. He of Yahoo Sports is going to join us here on Birds 365. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears of life 
First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. We are Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. It's a let's get back to business Wednesday because the Eagles bye week has come and gone. They will actually get together and do some working out or at least walking through for the upcoming game against the Washington football team. Uh, Jeff Kerr, as we sit here now, we're expecting that the quarterback matchup this Sunday is going to be Jalen Hurts against Taylor Heineke. But we don't know that on either front, that Jalen Hurts, of course, missed the last game against the uh, Jets. And to the rescue, here comes Gardner Minshew at a very proficient game against the Jets. Yeah, and see, I'm allowed to say this, and this is no cop-out. I'm, as a guy who's been a Jet fan my whole life, I can say the Jets' defense stinks. They're just flat-out bad. I was at the game. I think you were at the game. I think I could have completed nine of it, the first 11 passes that Gardner Minshew threw. He completed all 11. I think I would have got nine. Uh, they're just a bad defensive football team at this time. So I'm not going nuts about what Gardner Minshew accomplished because he did so against a rather porous defense. But he did it. And the Eagle fans rightfully got a little excited about it. The quarterback controversy never reached the boiling level because the coach put a kibosh on it as soon as the game was over and done with and said, no, Jalen Hurts is our starting quarterback and we'll be as soon as he's healthy. But we don't know if he's healthy yet. We assume that he's healthy since Jalen said leading up to the Jet game, oh, I'm going to be the quarterback. And we didn't know he wasn't going to be the quarterback until Derek Gunn sniffed it out the Saturday before and said, hey, Gardner Minshew's getting all the walkthrough practice reps. Looks like he's going to be the QB. And then he was. We don't know who's going to be the QB for the Eagles. If it is Jalen Hurts and he's coming back off an injury, not a big injury, not a bad injury, not a uh, out for the season type injury, but an injury that was significant enough that the Eagles didn't blanch at sitting him last week. Um, does that add emphasis to the evaluation of Jalen Hurts for this year. Part of this year was going to be about Jalen Hurts, and let's see not only will he win games for us and see what we do this year, but help us to make the decision as to what we do at the quarterback position during the upcoming offseason. Added emphasis on how well he does or doesn't play this week. He cut him some slack because he might not be 100%. Jeff Kerr, football eagle talent evaluator, how much emphasis are you putting on this week's performance by Jalen Hurts? 
I'm giving the Nick Foles treatment, honestly. And this is why I always thought Nick Foles was a pretty decent quarterback because he always seemed to play well in the biggest of games. Um, you know, we saw in 2013, we saw in 2014. I, the number one quarterback stat evaluator, and I know Mina Kimes will argue with me that the cows come home on this, but wins are a quarterback stat in a sense. They are. And you are what your record says you are. But there's some, how can I put it? These final four games, Jody, are huge for him because we're going to find out, one, if the Eagles can win football games. I don't care how they do it. Two, if he plays well and and they win these football games. So I'm looking at Sunday's game against Washington is pretty much a playoff game. You have to win this game. I, I agree with John Mullen 100%. You have to win this game to keep your playoff hopes alive. If you lose, forget. You can't split with Washington. You got to win this game. It, you create the margin of error by, you know – losing to the New York Giants. You could be seven and six right now, but I digress. You have to win against the Giants the next week, eight and six. You have to be Washington the next week in Washington, nine and six. That's the goal. You have to win these next three games. So I'm evaluating Jalen Hurd says, how does he play? I'm not worrying about how he throws the football decision-making. If the Eagles win 17 to 10 or 42 to 14, I'm looking at, did they win the game? How did Jalen Hurts handle the situation? And I, I don't think that's going to be an issue, him handling the situation. Uh, he just, you know, he's played in enough big games already in his college career that he knows what's at stake here. I'm, I'm looking at it as how does Jalen Hurts run this offense and how does this, how does this offense go over these next three weeks? Uh, you know, and, and I'm like you, Jody. Uh, you can say it. I, 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 I can say it. I watch the Jets enough. The Jets stink. They're terrible. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL. Everybody wants to go on, oh, Jalen Hurts lost to the Giants. Well, that's great. Yeah, he did lose the Giants. Guess what? Played pretty decent against a lot of teams in this league this year. A lot of, you know, Denver Broncos are not a bad football team. They're 7-6. and six. They're better, They have a better record than the Eagles. Jalen Hurts played well against them. He played well against the New Orleans Saints, who, again, if they weren't as banged up, they probably would be in the playoffs right now. But I digress. I, I'm looking at it as... How does he do running the offense over these next three weeks? If they lose Sunday, by all means, if you want to turn the page, go ahead. And I'm not ready to turn the page, and I don't think we're going to have to turn the page. Um, I, yeah, I the Giants, turn the, page the Giants, and the Jets' overall team abilities are are pretty close. But if you're just talking about the uh, judging what the Eagle quarterback did, um, the Giants are a better defense than the Jets. Giants actually have what I believe is a pretty darn good secondary. If they had any kind of linebacking playmaking core, um, yeah, Williams is pretty good up front, but he's the only real force they have on their defensive line. The fact that their secondary could actually get some coverage done with so little help being given from in front of them tells you how talented their secondary actually is. The Jets are a bad defensive football player team across the board and they're worse on the back end than they are uh, up front that's why I said what Gardner Minshew accomplished putting up the numbers he did to me uh, they, they're both bad football teams but if you're just looking to analyze what the Eagle quarterback did against them I think it's certainly easier to move the football through the air against the Jets than it is against the Giants but I'm glad to hear your analysis on uh, Jalen Hurts because I'm in agreement with us and smart minds think alike yeah, these last four games, we've seen Jalen Hurts, the quarterback, the Eagles, for 12 games this year. Um, yeah, Gardner stepped in last game. 
And those 12 games are important when you go through the entire evaluation. These last four are more important than the first 12 because it is pressurized. It is late season football. It is something that you're hoping to see with him going down the road for the next two, three, four years. If he's your quarterback, December will decide whether it's a good or bad season for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, yes, I'm putting even more of an emphasis on it. I get it. Jeff, four weeks from now, we're going to look at the standings, and the Eagles are either going to make the playoffs or not make the playoffs, and it's going to be because of their record and who they did or didn't beat because of tiebreaker. And, and no one's going to say, ooh, a December win, but that should count more. No. Week two, week three, week four counts exactly the same as week 15, 16, and 17. I get that, but that's on paper. On the field, I do think in doing your evaluation, you add more to what is done under the Klieg lights that are a playoff run. So, yeah, I'll put even more of an emphasis on what Jalen Hurts does, which is the reason why I'm really, really, really hoping. Sorry, sorry to all you Gardner Minshew fans out there. I'm hoping that he is close to 100% physically ready to go and the ankle isn't a problem because I want to get a fair evaluation of Hurts down the stretch here. Yeah, I do too. And look, I don't want to discredit anything Gardner Minshew has done. But is Gardner Minshew the future of your football team? No. If you if, say this team would go to Gardner Minshew uh, over Jalen Hurts being held, which again, credit to Nick Sirianni for putting the kibosh on this as quick as he did. But say they were going to go to Gardner Minshew and he plays well. You're in the Rodney P. Ty Detmer situation all over again with Nick Sirianni. Because then it's like, well, should I go with this guy? Should I go with that guy? And you never bother getting the quarterback you want because you're you're stuck with two number twos. Well, Jalen Hurts might be a number one. We're not fully sure yet. But you can get a better idea over these last four games, how this guy performs in, in as we talked about, these pressure pack situations. Now, I, I'm looking at that. I, I think he's going to be back in 2022 anyway. I know we, we were talking about Derek Carr earlier on the show, but I, I just think the Eagles are going to push back. But unless Jalen Hurts really just craps the bed these last four weeks, I don't think the Eagles are going to move on from him. I think they want to see how he does in playoff-type atmospheres, and that's what the Eagles are going to get these next couple weeks. And, you know, it's this is what made – Rodney Pete, a starter going into 1996, how he played in December of 1995, which was pretty well. And, you know, he played well in a playoff game. So Jalen Hurts deserves that opportunity. He deserves that opportunity to be this quarterback, to lead this team, and see how far they go. Because guess what? I think if the Eagles go to the playoffs, I know they're probably going to be a seven, and they're not going to be a two. I, they're, they're, I'll say it, they're probably not going to beat Tampa Bay or Green Bay, but. I think they'll be a tougher out than most people think because they can run the ball and they can control the clock and keep their offenses off the field. All right. Uh, we got a guest coming up joining us less than 10 minutes now, but I did want to get your take on this. Uh, I ran out of time to ask John about it. Uh, the ex-Eagle coach, Super Bowl winning coach, as a matter of fact, Doug Peterson hopped up on WIP yesterday. Uh, it's become a topic of conversation, CBS Sports, all you national outlets and the like as well. Um, about him being a major candidate for an offensive, for a head coaching opening during this upcoming off season. I took a couple calls of it on it last night on WIP, some of which said it looked almost like he was begging for a job. And I didn't buy that a little bit. And it was the media that kind of brought Doug Peterson's name forward. 
I don't know, maybe Doug's agent is working the phones to some of the top media guys. I don't know that to be the case. I got no problems with it from either the media standpoint and or the way that Peterson is handling it after he'd gotten a couple of pops from national media guys. Angelo was good enough, smart enough to put him on WIP yesterday. Uh, I was not surprised or uh, taken aback by anything that he said. Yeah, he wants another chance. Yeah, he says he thinks he can do it a little bit better. Uh, Dougie P, what do you think about the way that this week unfolded, that he was the number one talked about potential head coaching candidate going forward next year? And do you think he's going to get a job this offseason? I think if he wants a job, he'll get it. Uh, there are two guys I think that if they want them, they should have a job. Well, I'll say one. One should have a job. Eric Bianami should have a job this offseason at one of these head coaching gigs somewhere, you know, whether that's going to be Vegas or Jacksonville, Minnesota, New York, he should have a job. And and I think he's done a tremendous job with Patrick Mahomes at Kansas City. And a lot of the Chiefs players I talk to just rave about the enemy. I, I think he'll be the next uh, read disciple to have success in this league. But Doug Pearson, don't you have a feeling he can pick wherever he wants to go at this point? No. no I mean, I, Jacksonville would be nice for him, though. I think that would be an interesting destination. Um I don't know if he'll want to go to like a Minnesota. He definitely won't be going to New York, but it's hard to find Super Bowl winning coaches. It is, and he's one of them. You know, people some people don't want to admit Doug Pearson won a Super Bowl because Golden Boy Sean McVay hasn't yet, but Doug Pearson has won a Super Bowl, and that's appealing to a franchise trying to turn around. I like to see him with a young quarterback again. I think Doug Pearson and Jacksonville would be nice. Uh imagine Doug Pearson with Derek Carr. That would be something too. Again, assuming you know, Vegas doesn't go on a full rebuild here. I'm sure there'll be other jobs that'll open up. Uh, uh, hey, Doug Pearson could get Justin Jefferson, the guy he allegedly did not want uh, in Minnesota. But I, I don't think Doug Pearson's begging for a job. I think if the right opportunity comes along, Doug would take it. I don't think that offensive coordinator role was in Seattle was something Doug Pearson really wanted. But if he has a chance to convince Russell Wilson to stay, who knows? Two things. Number one, uh, the way that you stated it, sorry, I had to disagree with you, that he can take his choice of job. To say he can go wherever he wants, that means he's got to have multiple offers. And I mean, they offer him the job. Not talk to him about the job. They actually offer him the job. Do I think there will be two such situations this offseason? If it's two, that's going to be max. It will not be multiple three or more. But I'm not even sure that he'll be offered two jobs. I think he'll be offered at least one. And then he can certainly say, no, thank you, and wait another year if he chooses to. That's certainly an option. But I don't think he's going to have, like, all the teams that are looking for a job are going to start with Doug Peterson and you eliminate them as you go on and Doug gets uh, the I should say, the It's not going to be like when Andy Reeves let go as the Eagles head coach or everybody's calling him. But he'll get his fair share of – interviews and, and offers. I, I think he gets at least two. Interviews are one thing, offers are another. Um, and you kind of answered this question, but I, I want you to formulate a little bit more. How many openings do you think they're going to be? And uh, this is an inexact science. Stuff can happen here in the last month that could take a team that you would say is definitely going to have a new coach that decides, now we're going to give this guy one more. Or a guy that you think is locked into a job goes so bad you go, Oh, my God, that job is going to open. So I know it's kind of an unfair question I'm asking you, but how many openings do you think they're going to be? So I was actually on uh, WIP last night with Tom Kelly before you came on, and he asked me the same question. And 
I had the brainstorm really quick. I'm like, well, let's see. Houston might have an opening with David Colley. You know, we'll see. We'll see if they keep him around another year. Do you not- really think they'd pull the after the whole Deshaun Watson mess? You think they'd pull oh, well, the that's the thing. I, I don't think that's a possibility, but you got to at least kind of put them in the puzzle. I don't think David Culley's going after a year, but who knows? Um, I don't think they'd do that to him, but Jacksonville definitely, I think Jacksonville definitely, uh, whatever Con does decide to do with Urban Meyer. So, and you know, and I said to Tom this last night, they might just be that arrogant and double down to kind of do the Steve Spurrier washing around. So they may not be open, but it's been a disaster there in Jacksonville from everything I've read and stuff I've heard. It's not good. I, I, I I'm going to say this, Jody, with Jacksonville, wait till he's gone. You're going to hear a lot of stuff come out with Urban Meyer. So Jacksonville, Houston, uh, Minnesota. I don't think Mike Zimmer is going to be back. I think he'll step down. I don't or retire, I guess. He's been thinking about doing that anyway. So I think that's a possibility. Um, the Giants, I, unless the Giants are that arrogant, I don't see Joe Judge being back. So there's four. Pete Carroll might retire, so that's five. I'm going to say at least five for now. There's probably going to be other. Uh, oh, and Vegas obviously has an opening because they have an interim head coach right now. So that's six. Maybe Vic Fangio. And De- if Vic Fangio is gone, Denver is the most attractive job because they have the talent. All they need is that quarterback. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. 
at Messon Associates for an injury <coughs> law firm in Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at mesalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. We are Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. I hope you're hearing me uh, strong and solid. I kind of goofed up the mic there. I had a cough last night. I forgot to turn it back on. That's on me. That's my problem. That's my issue. But we got it worked out. So I'm glad to be able to uh, put my microphone back on key for it. Our next guest would never do something as stupid as I just did, muting myself for the show. Uh, he does a great job. Very unmuted muted for uh, YahooSports.com. Eric Edholm, good enough to hop on board with us for a couple minutes here on Birds 365. How you been, Eric? Uh, really, what you're trying to say is I'm very loud. I'm a very stentorian man. That's really what it comes down to. But I, but I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a nice, warm uh, morning here in Chicago, unexpectedly warm. So uh, I'm enjoying it with the uh, the short sleeves here today. I was going to say, it's warm. What is it, like 28? <laughs> no, of, like uh... 54 or something crazy like that. So I'm. this is, I don't know, if this is not football weather, apparently. I don't know. Damn, that is warm in Chicago for this time of year. <laughs> All right, uh, I wanted to ask you the question that I just ended up asking uh, Jeff. This offseason, knowing full well that the last month of the season could change this drastically, depending on the results. But as we sit here with four games left to go for every team in the NFL, how many head coaching openings do you think they're going to be in the NFL this offseason? Yeah, I heard you guys discussing it. I thought Jeff did a good job of breaking down the, the possibilities. And, and you know, I mean, sometimes there's a, a, a coach of a team in contention, too, that might be fired. I'm kind of looking down the list. No real obvious candidates. I mean, unless, let's say, you know, the Cowboys absolutely flop down the down the, the stretch and, and, you know, Jerry melts down and says, all right, Mike McCarthy, you're gone. I don't really see that happening, but you never know. I mean, you know, obviously we've seen strange things happen. You know, I obviously don't, I think Kyle Shanahan's probably safe in San Francisco, even if they have a, a flop or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it really could come down to, you know, Jacksonville, Houston could be a spot uh, one and done for David Culley. You know, uh, I, I think the way that Brian Flores has kind of rebounded uh, with this team, it would be hard to say that his job in je is in jeopardy, even with the, the terrible start they got off to. Uh, Denver, I still feel like Vic may have another year. I know that other people are, are reporting differently or that if they don't win, uh, get into the postseason, it, it's not going to happen. But that's one to keep an eye on. I think Vic is, is – brought out some good football on this team, even without the quarterback. And, and you're right, Jeff. I, thought, I think this is probably the most attractive situation. So if Denver feels like they can get a clear upgrade, if there's a candidate that they absolutely love, somebody who be they believe can take them to the next level, maybe then it happens. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think depending on some of the, you know, the unknown situations like Seattle, which could be in a 
full teardown if Russell Wilson's gone and Pete Carroll decides to step down or something like that. You know, the, the number might be somewhere between four and six this offseason. Yeah, Eric, you mentioned Dallas. They're a very interesting team to me because I feel like they're very talented. But yep. I still look at them as they're the fifth best team in this conference because I, I don't know. I know they can't beat Tampa, even though that was week one. Green Bay, I don't think they can beat. I think Arizona is going to be an interesting litmus test for them. But I don't know. I just feel like they can beat up on the NFC East, but they can't beat up on anybody else. Yeah, and, you know, there's obviously been this this chatter this week about is Dak struggling and all that. I, I'm not too worried about him. And, you know, the defense, what concerns me is obviously they've been so big play dependent. When they create turnovers, they tend to win games. When they get those big plays uh, from Micah Parsons and Trevon Diggs and people like that, they, they tend to have a lot more success. That scares me a little because, you know, there have only been a handful of defenses in the last 10 or 15 years, maybe the Bears when they were in their heyday at the end of the Lovey Smith era, you know, a, a couple more that have been very turnover-reliant and been, you know, successful for, for, you know, any kind of notable length of time. But, yeah, the loss of the Raiders certainly was concerning. You know, they weren't able to take advantage of uh, – uh, you know, a Chiefs defense, which at the time wasn't playing all that well. Um, still, though, I, I think if they take care of business against the Giants, if they take care of business or they 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 beat the the Washington football team, a team they got a 24-0 lead on, they're probably in good shape for the postseason. But to your question about, you know, the long-term viability, or not the long-term, but rather the how how far can they make it in this field? Playoffs, yes. Very far, I'm really not sure, and I think it probably has a little bit more to the de- to do with the defense and the run game than it does with Dak and, and, and the rest of the offense. Eric, need your take on something that's continuing to evolve and change on a day-in, day-out basis, and that's the COVID situation in the National Football League. Day before yesterday, they had the largest one-day positive test number that they've had since COVID came to our shores, which is saying something, since players are vaccinated, yet they had their biggest positive test day. That's not good. Now, we know that you can actually get through the protocol within three or four days if you're vaccinated, if you're symptom-free, if you get two negative tests in over a 48-hour period, you can actually be quickly reinstated. There's a whole lot of question marks going into this weekend. The NFL is going to deal with this how? Are they going to upgrade their protocols, change their protocols, just cross their fingers and hope this is just a little spike that they're going through this week for other various reasons? It's kind of a scary situation. How is Roger Goodell at all going to deal with it over the next uh, five, six, seven, eight days? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the overwhelming number of players who are vaccinated, I mean, the number's north of 95%. I think 97 was the last that I saw reported. And, you know, I've heard people suggest maybe there are more fake vax cards out there than we think. I I highly tend to doubt that. I think the NFL has kind of learned its lesson from the Antonio Brown thing. And, you know, it's probably made sure that, uh, you know, that, that these were verified vaccinations and everything. And we know all about the breakthrough cases and everything. If this is indeed the Omicron variant and and we're seeing what the rest of the country is seeing, which is very few symptoms, people recovering more quickly, that's probably good news for the NFL. And for those vaccinated players, as you said, the protocol allows them to kind of get quickly back into the system, uh, you know, if they pass this sort of little battery of tests or whatever. So this is probably a good wake up call for, for for the NFL, being that it's you know, week 15 and, and we have an extra week to play with in the regular season here. 
um, so that this kind of thing doesn't sort of come down during a playoff week and they can, you know, adjust their protocols if needed. But I don't know there's going to be a a massive change. I could be wrong about this. My colleague, uh, Charles Robinson, just wrote about this yesterday. And yeah, it does sort of feel like the ship hit the iceberg here. But the fact that these all kind of came at once while surprising, I don't think is going to be concerning in the long term. Maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic than other people are on this, but my sense is that the, the, the overwhelming majority of these players are going to be able to, to play, if not right away, then certainly the next week. And again, the timing ends up being pretty good uh, in that it's still in the home stretch of the regular season. Even if it's not ideal, uh, it, it's better than the alternative, I think. Eric, I can't believe it's taken me an hour and a half to even mention this, but we get two Saturday football games this week. And- sure do. Yeah. Are you a fan of the Saturday football games? Because we're getting them over the next couple of weeks here. I kind of like it. You know, I obviously as, as college football is kind of waned off where I know we're getting into bowl season and everything like that, but it sort of fills out the, the schedule a little bit and gives us a little bit more football. Now the teams may not, not love it, logistically speaking, short weeks and travel and things like that. But, you know, it's really uh, better than a Thursday game in terms of, of, of that kind of planning and things like that. And so, you know, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I'm, I'm a fan, right? You get to watch more football on more days, a little more spread out. You know, I think the gambling folks, now that the NFL has kind of embraced that, it gives them more opportunities to blow their money in different ways. So uh, I, I think it's pretty cool. Other people may feel differently, but yeah, it's, it kind of gets us a reminder that, Hey, we're, we're inching up on playoff season here and we've got those two Saturday games and, uh, it's a good way to, to remember we're in December here. I'll say like, it, it helps our jobs too, because we yeah. can actually focus on one game. Right. You're not watching nine games at once right. and kind of overwhelmed and, and, you know, spraining your wrist, flipping back and forth or watching <laughs> the red zone channel or whatever people do. So yeah, it's, it, I think it's good for that reason too. I like, I like the Saturday games too. Nitpicking. I liked one o'clock, four o'clock East coast time. I know uh, you got to put it on TV nighttime, but people go out on Saturday night, right? I would believe they do better with a one o'clock Eastern game uh, in that other window as opposed to the late afternoon game than they would a night game. But uh, we're going off course. Uh, Eric, the reason why we love having a guy like you on, on certainly in addition to the fact that you know what the hell you're talking about, we like to have non-Philadelphia guys comment on the Eagles because we're so inundated. We're around it every single day. Sometimes we get a little too narrow focus and likes. We like to have somebody on who's got a wider view of it. Give us your scouting eye on the Eagles and their playoff chances. And Jalen Hurts, who they hope is going to be healthy enough to play this four-game stretch added to his entire uh, body of work for the first 12 of the 13 weeks. What do you think about him as a potential quarterback for the Eagles going forward? Yeah, well, first of all, I have to laugh, guys, because this is the second time in two days I've been asked to kind of go into Philadelphia territory and comment on the Eagles. I did a mock draft. I do a lot of draft stuff. And with, with two guys who have Philadelphia ties, and they gave me all three Eagles first-round picks, I thought, this is some sort of weird initiation ritual. Or so you guys are testing me, aren't you, right? Here. <laughs> so this is a, a little bit of a, a similar vein here. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I You know, obviously, their, their schedule down the stretch isn't too bad, right? I mean, they've got the two games, uh, one against New, uh, New York and, and two against Washington, uh, four division games. The Dallas game, obviously, is going to be pivotal. It, it, it's really been this sort of – ping-pongy back and forth thing I think after one and three people just thought okay this is just another one of those seasons week one was an aberration and um, you know they fight back tough in the second half against Carolina a couple setbacks get back on track with a blowout of the Lions you know it's 
it's been hard to get a real beat on them, but I thought they played really competitive against a good Chargers team, obviously. You know, took care of business against, what, the – I think it was the Saints and the, the Broncos. and Broncos, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Giants' loss is going to end up stinging at some point, whether they get in and, and you know, end up in that last uh, wild card spot or – you know, if they don't get it at all and they're one game out, they're going to look back and say, boy, that was the missed opportunity. To your Hertz question, if I had to gather a 30,000-foot view of the situation, I would say that he's probably done enough to earn another provisional season, if you will, like another year where, and I realize they have three first-round picks, as we just mentioned a minute ago, but – you know, even if there are things that you wish were better, you know, that he would improve on, I would say that given the way he was thrown in last year, tough circumstances, acquitted himself fairly well. Um, you know, it hasn't been perfect this year, but we have this habitual process of, of quitting on young quarterbacks or not putting them in ideal situations around the NFL, not just the Eagles, obviously. And, and it really hurts their development. It hurts their confidence. It hurts their, their progress track. So, you know, I hope they at least sort of see it through a little bit could there be competition of course i wouldn't be shocked if they end up using one of those first round picks move into 2023 draft and which is you would think a, a stronger quarterback draft than this upcoming one this isn't a terrible one but it's not a great one either uh and give them i would say another at least part of a season to see if he is the man so i like some of what he's done he's sped up his process a little bit still hangs on to the ball too much the accuracy still could be scattershot, but overall, I think for where they got him and how he was thrown into the mix, I think he's done okay for himself. Eric, and obviously you're more in touch with the draft than I am, but I have been paying attention to the quarterbacks, obviously, because of the Jalen Hurts situation. And yeah. The only one that seems to wow me right now is Kenny Pickett, and I don't know if he's on that 2020 class with like Joe Burrow to uh, – right. You know, Justin Herbert, but where would you stack Kenny Pickett amongst like the last couple draft classes? Yeah, in fact, that that's a question about a month or so ago. I posed to a to an evaluator. I said, if we were to take all the 2022 quarterbacks, lump them in with last year's draft class, forget what we've seen out of you know Zach Wilson or Trevor Wilson this year, merely as prospects, how would they stack up? I said, would any of the five or six, let's say, of the top guys in this draft? break into the above Mac Jones or above uh, uh, Justin Fields. And, you know, the guy kind of thought about it a little bit and said, I don't know. I don't think so. And it would either be Pickett or, or Mac Corral, who would probably be the one who could slip into that spot. Pickett's had a really nice season. I think a lot of people have compared him to Joe Burrow in the sense that he probably entered the year as a fourth round pick or something like that. You know, it's, summer grades were coming in in the, in the early day three range, maybe late day two. He'd had a lot of football in his career, hadn't played great against high-level competition. But this year has taken a different level, you know, a different kind of leap that, that we hadn't really seen in his progression before. And it's exciting. I think that the hand size issue that, that's going to be annoying come uh, senior bowl time and NFL combine time. He's got historically small hands. He's got eight and a quarter inch hands. I think that's even smaller than mine, believe it or not. Um, it, it, it's something that worries you because he does have, I think, 33 or four career fumbles. It hasn't really affected his throwing of the football. Now you're going to hear some Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater stuff because he wears two gloves and all that. But um, I think he's got a little bit of burrow in him. He's got a little bit of uh, Kirk Cousins in him. 
that's probably the level of starter I think he'll get to. Now, Burrow, I think, can can ascend higher. He's he's had some high-level games. So maybe where Burrow is now and where, you know, I mean, Kirk Cousins, let's face it, has played some pretty good football in the NFL. I know he's an easy mark, but yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a solid quarterback. I don't know if you take that at number six overall or number 10, maybe 15. I don't know. I mean, the quarterbacks always get pushed up so high. I just feel like the inflation might be a little scary on this class. You might be better served waiting for a Carson Strong or, or somebody who falls a little bit in this class. All right, let's uh, go glass more than half full with Eagles. Jalen Hurts plays well. And the scouting evaluation you just gave us, yeah, pretty good. It might not be the worst thing in the world. Give him another shot again next year. Let's say that's the way that it plays out and the way the Eagles evaluate it after this season has come and gone. They're going to have three first-round draft picks. As of right now, they're playing better, so theirs is getting a little further down the board. Dolphins have won five in a row. The Dolphin pick's getting further down the board. The Colts are in the playoffs right now. That could be in the 20s as a pick goes. It's more uh, quantity, not quality. The picks are getting later. But three is three, which means they're going to have their choice of a bunch of different players to upgrade this roster. Give us your read right now, and again, a lot of time between now and the draft, of positions of strength. If they don't have to go QB and they can be more open-minded about using those three picks, what positions have good numbers throughout the first round that you go, yeah, they'll upgrade there, they can upgrade there, they can upgrade there. What positions are strong in this year's draft? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think the answer is depending on, you know, we're still waiting to hear on some underclassmen and, and things like that. And there could always be, you know, wor- uh, workout injuries and whatnot. I mean, there's always factors that change the landscape a little bit. But I believe the strengths right now of what I see in the, in the 2022 draft tend to match up pretty darn well with what the Eagles' biggest or most concerning needs are. And again, depending on, you know, who gets let go, all right? I mean, are, are Barnett and Graham for sure gone? Okay, then they probably need an edge. And, and this is a pretty good class, especially at the top. There's some guys that, you know, I, I think we could see three, maybe four in the top 10 or 12 picks. So that's, you know, right in the wheelhouse of their first selection. You know, I know linebacker is not traditionally a spot they address high in the draft. Maybe they've changed their philosophy on this. That's another position that I think is pretty solid for this year. Couple of guys I really like at the top, and some more depth that's you know decent. I would say they probably still need a, an offensive tackle. Let's say a corner and a and a safety. Those are you know if I had to just guess off the top of my head, maybe I'm forgetting something. But you know those are all positions that I that I look at and say they're either the they're either the, among the more top heavy or the deeper uh, positions in this class. So you know again in a month I'll have a better idea once all the underclassmen have declared and once we get a a better picture of what this this is going to look like. But, you know, even if they only end up using two of the three first round picks, let's say, you know, they they should be able to get starters or significant contributors at, you know, two of those five spots. And I'm guessing with a, with a heavy emphasis on defense. Eric, I'm going to put you on the spot here with the playoff picture, name the three wildcard teams in the AFC and name the six and seven seed in the NFC. Cause I'm assuming the Rams are making it. Yeah, right. And, and you know, is uh, is there more than one sub-500 team that makes it? I mean, at this point, we've got, I, I believe San Fran at seven and six is in the sixth spot. And I think Washington right now has the edge, if I'm not mistaken. But there are, what, five other, four other six and seven teams. So there's a good chance, especially with the odd number of games this year, that we have a, 
uh, an eight and nine team make the postseason. It seems still seems strange to say that, by the way. I'm not used to it, but I would probably guess. Wow. I think the 49ers get in. I I I, I keep kind of hedging on that one. I'm not convinced. I mean, they've. Yeah, I'll put them in. All right, I don't want to. I don't want to hedge too much here, but. I don't know that Philly can get in. They do have the edge over Atlanta, obviously another team at six and seven. I don't see new Orleans all of a sudden making a big push. Minnesota has been such a tough team to figure out all year long, right? They they're super competitive, but they can't seem to win these close games or they make their wins much tougher on themselves than they need to be. That, that concerns me, obviously. Could they make a push? That's probably the team, you know, Philly, Washington, Minnesota are probably the three that are jockeying for that spot. You know, I, I guess of the three, the, the most talented might be might be Minnesota, but but are they gonna win those games that they've they've seemingly had so much trouble with? You know, are they gonna win the games that when it comes down to the final possession or you know, they need to protect a lead or come back, can they see it through? That's gonna end up probably being the biggest difference. Of those three teams, and each team has two sides of the ball, I would say Minnesota's offense is the best of those six units yep. that I have more faith that they're going to be able to put a point to whatever. With but a healthy Dalvin Cook, with a healthy Adam Thielen, I agree. Yep, I agree. But I don't like their defense a little bit. That's why I think the Eagles can get that spot. All yep. right, uh, but uh, away from that for a second, I need your take on what's happening in Jacksonville. Uh, we talk a lot about here on the show that continuity is a good thing. If you can find a coach and you can get through a rough time, keeping them around is only going to make your stronger franchise going forward. And then there were just dumpster fires. And you you got to put a dumpster fire out. You let it burn, it can rule your whole organization. That's the way I feel about Urban Meyer and what he's done down there in Jacksonville this year. Understand it'd be a big swallow for Shad Khan. Gave him a lot of money and a lot of years. But Shad Khan's got more money he knows what to do with. So I won't uh, start a GoFundMe page if he's got to pay off Urban Meyer to get him the hell out of there. What's going to happen? Is he going to yeah. get a second shot in Jacksonville? I tend to think no. I think there's going to be some sort of agreement that's made, some sort of settlement or something like that. And if I had to guess right now, if I felt like Urban Meyer was more engaged during games, you know, and it's not like I'm sitting there watching him for three hours, you know, glued to the head coach. What's he doing? What's he saying? How much is he moving or stalking on the sideline? Of course not. But when, 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 Beat writers seem to know more about the roster than he does. That's a bit concerning. You know, when, when it feels like he's not taking responsibility for personnel decisions, why is James Robinson sitting? You know, why is this person not playing more? When there have already been these, these reports that have come out about sparring with assistant coaches. And Urban, to his credit, is right. He's always been tough on assistants. I mean, ask Mike Vrabel when he was at Ohio State. Ask Luke Fickle. Ask... You know, uh, even Charlie Strong, look who was with him before and who's with him now. I mean, Charlie knows what he's signing up for. So I'm guessing he's probably not the leak. You know, you would, you would assume it came from somebody who was with him for the first time and getting the urban experience. And saying, <laughs> what is going on here? Why am I getting pilloried for this thing? So, you know, casting blame elsewhere, not sort of having much of a say over, or, or, or not taking responsibility for what's going on in the field in some cases that's worrisome. Uh, that's the kind of buck passing that NFL owners look at and say, boy, that's anti-leadership. That's the opposite of what we want. Now, Shad has kind of couched his comments a little, it feels like. 
Is he doing that for financial reasons or does he really believe he has a winner here who's, you know, cooking up this this genius plan uh, in, in the bowels of, of the Jacksonville facility and is ready to unleash it on the league when, when they face New England in week 17? You know, whatever. I mean, like, what are we waiting for here? We haven't seen anything outside of the Buffalo game that makes you think this can be a competitive football team. So at the end of the day, the development of Trevor Lawrence is more important than saving face over a bad decision. That's where I feel like uh, a move probably ends up happening after the season. I don't know if he's fired for cause or I don't know if he's, you know, just given uh, his, his full uh, contract, but it just doesn't feel real tenable right now. Yeah. You kind of brought up my next question about the Trevor Lawrence thing. I, I agree with you hundred percent, but I, I got to add this here. How do you not know Andre Cisco didn't play on Sunday? <laughs> oh, he saw him chasing down a punt or something or, you know, right. I thought that was, that was a little bit worrisome. And again, you know, it, it's one thing if you would ask them directly immediately after a game, when a coach has 58 different things running through his head, that's, I believe it was the next day, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this well, is, I think it was Monday, right. Monday. So after he's, you would assume watched the tape, made his notes, talked to his defensive coordinator, talked to his secondary coach, talked to the offensive assistants and said, all right, what do we, what do we see on this guy? You know, otherwise, how are we, you know, it was like the answer that I used to give in college. Uh, well, why didn't you do your homework? Well, I meant to do it, but I, you know, it's a very, it was an excuse making kind of, well, I think he's playing a little bit more, you know, well, if you don't know, that's really where this isn't a college roster with 85 guys. This is an NFL roster with 53 and 46 active on game day. You should know who's going in and out. You think Bill Belichick and Andy Reid know who's going in and out? Yes, we do. So that's that's what's those kind of things aren't just a cute little story that everybody laughs at and says, ha ha, that's that's concerning. What is what are you what would it what's the line from office space? What would you say that you do around here? Right. You know, <laughs> so that that's kind of what I was left with. All right. Last thing uh, for me, Eric. Uh, you mentioned one of our guys, Andy Reid, who uh, is a favorite and or a heel here to some Philadelphia <laughs> Eagle fans. It's funny how that stuff works out. Yeah. Um, much improved Chiefs. All of a sudden, the defense with another Philly guy, Spagnola, doing yeah. a really good job. I I'll be honest with you. I don't know why. Um, was it just the fact that they reached out and picked up Ingram off the scrap heap and allowed them to move Chris Jones back inside? Did Spagnola make a change or do something different? The Chiefs went from a bottom 10 defense in the NFL to a top five defense in the NFL. You just don't see that in the midst of a season happen. How have the Chiefs been able to do that? I think you hit on an important point. Stealing, I call it stealing, Melvin Ingram from Pittsburgh for a six-round pick. And, and I get it. Ingram's, you know, been kind of a hot and cold player. He's had some injuries, different reasons. You know, the way he was playing uh, in Pittsburgh, I think everybody kind of felt like, boy, he's not even going to contribute there. But the fact that he was able to come in, as you pointed out, Chris Jones playing out of position at end, and he can do it, but that's not where he's best. He goes back inside. And also Frank Clark, you know, I mean, early in the year, he had the lawsuits hanging over his head. He wasn't playing well. He looked kind of, you know, like a chicken with his head cut off out there. He was outstanding on Sunday. Four quarterback hits. He had a half a sack. He was, you know, really leading to the pressure that that I thought got in Derek Carr's head early in that game. And I watched almost every play of that game live on Sunday. And, you know, I, I there was one play where when they gave up the touchdown in the second half and, you know, you see Willie Gay Jr. throw up his hands. I mean, they were up 30 points at that point. 
I think it's just they've taken some pride in this defense too. Like they don't even like giving up first downs at this stage. So uh, real credit. I mean, look at – I don't think they've allowed more than 20 points outside the Tennessee game in about two months now. The first five games of the year, it was 30 points or more every single game. It was. It's an unbelievable turnaround. Uh, and when you have the best special teams or one of the best special teams units and Patrick Mahomes, you know, Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey and all those guys – that's a pretty tough combination. It really is. I, they're going to be a, they're going to be just as tough and out as they have been the last three years or so. And yeah, I can't wait to see this, this game tomorrow, right. Against uh, the chargers. Yeah. Right. Thursday night action should be a fun one. All right. So Eric, are you going to go out and get nine in 18, but then the fifties there <laughs> in Chicago, you're going to get the clubs out today. This is so embarrassing. I sold my clubs. I got so upset at golf. I had a really bad golf year in about 2006. 17 or 18 i can't remember now but and i just said i'm done i'm done with this sport we had a yard sale and i think i sold them for like 35 <laughs> bucks you know and so there's two golf courses about half a mile away from me and, and i always you know we moved here a few years ago and i keep thinking one day i'm gonna get back over there so well it's been almost five years now i gotta i gotta start thinking about a, a new set of sticks I am sorry if I rubbed salt in the wound there. I had no idea that it's that golf was the weather, though. I get why you asked. With, but uh, just glad to hear you having a nice day in Chicago. We appreciate it. Thanks for getting up early with us today here on Birds 365. We'll get you back on during the playoffs. All right. Thanks. Very good. I appreciate it, guys. Our pleasure. Does a great job for Yahoo Sports. Uh, Eric Edholm here with us on Birds 365. All right. Look at the clock. We still got five solid minutes left. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Kerr, Jody McDonald coming back to build a bow on the show on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
when it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Coming down the home stretch here on a Birch 365 Wednesday get together on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. And don't forget, you want to keep it right here. Um, don't know if we'll have any further information coming out of the Eagles media sessions or the like about how the Eagles are doing with their injuries uh, by the time the middle wraps around. So Leo may have some advanced info by the time his show comes up later on this afternoon. And certainly when J-Mac comes back with me tomorrow. We we'll have plenty to talk about here on Birds 365. Want to give the people on the stream a lot of credit today. Good conversation going on there. Thank you very much, guys. Oh, by the way, yes, like uh, and please subscribe and uh, show us a little love on the stream. Uh, begging is uh, not my usual thing, but I've been told I need to beg, which I'm I'm okay with. Uh, I just need to learn how to do it. Um, so uh, feel free to hit that like button. I do want to go there with uh, one of the comments that I did see. Doug Peterson to the Bears. I asked you earlier, Jaker, uh, about Doug Peterson and his options and how much in demand do you think he'll be in the line. Bears? We just had Eric Edelman in Chicago. We should have asked him about that. Um, but uh, we had a bunch of other things we needed to tap into with him. Um, Matt Nagy gets relieved and another Andy Reid disciple comes in. I know there's a good chance it's a new general manager who's making the call and he might not be affected by at all by who the previous coach was. Do you see him coaching the Bears? Now, you talked about uh, getting a great young quarterback, something he'd like to sink his teeth into. It's exactly what he said yesterday with Angelo on WIP. You know how I feel about Justin Fields. I think he's got a chance to be a franchise quarterback in Chicago, but I just don't see Peterson with the Bears. Do you? I don't. I think it's more because of what Matt Nagy has done, and they're probably souring on Andy Reid's disciples right now because That's my point. He was supposed to be a good coach, and he's terrible. Matt Matt Nagy does the weirdest stuff during a football game, and he's not the guy I want to. I, honestly, like I rip Mitch Trubisky a lot. I feel like Matt Nagy kind of ruined Mitch Trubisky a bit too, because everything I hear out of Buffalo is Mitch Trubisky is actually not bad, and he probably will get another chance to start at some point. It, this is kind of like his gap year. You know, he's learning under Brian Dable. If they go that direction, I could see Brian Dable going to Chicago. Like, if they still go an offensive guy. They're going to have to go an offensive guy with, with Justin Fields. You already traded that draft pick. You reap what you sow at this point. Justin Fields is going to be a good football player. I mean, I, I think he's really incredibly talented. I think they, they do have some talent on that Chicago Bears offense, but – Matt Nagy is a mess. Ryan Pace is a mess. That whole thing, it doesn't need to be blown up. It just needs a reboot. And 
would Doug Pearson be nicer? Yeah, I just don't see them going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, nor do I. And uh, you mentioned Brian Dable. I talked about him on my uh, national show on CBS on Sunday. And they had a nice offensive bounce back. Allen kept them in that game against Tampa. Uh, they, I thought there was a chance they were going to get blown out. He got them back in, got them to overtime. And then Brady does what Brady does. Do you think Dable is more of a candidate or less of a candidate this offseason? I think he's more because I still think he's going to be in high demand just because of what he's done to Josh Allen. Uh, you know, everything – Josh Allen is one of the top five quarterbacks in football. He's the reason the Bills are 7-6 and six right now. Uh, it's not Brian Dable's fault he doesn't have an offensive line and he doesn't have running backs. That That's Brandon Bean. That's personnel. Brian Dable has done a tremendous job with Josh Allen, and I think a lot of coaches – I mean, a lot of organizations, especially young quarterbacks, saying, well, wait a minute. He's doing that with Josh Allen, with what Josh Allen was his first year, year and a half. What can he do with our guy who might be more talented than Josh Allen? Can you imagine Brian Dable with Justin Fields, with Trevor Lawrence? Uh, it, he won't get that chance to Zach Wilson, obviously. But, you know, I, I think Brian Dable will still be in a hot commodity. I mean, I, I thought he would have been a nice fit for the Chargers job before they actually went defense and went Brandon Staley. But... Again, you know, I think Brian Dable, will he wait a year? I, I don't know. I think if he gets a good opportunity to coach a young quarterback, he'll take it. Be interesting to see. All right, uh, since uh, yours truly and uh, Johnny Mack are going to finish out the week, what's your Sunday plan? Are you watching everything from uh, the comfort of your couch? Are you getting out going to a game? No, you've made it out a, a couple of weekends over the last month or so. You home or at a stadium this weekend? So I'm trying to go to Lincoln Financial Field. The Eagles make it a lot more difficult than other teams. I'll say that. Um, you know, I was thinking of going to Baltimore for Ravens Packers, but the Eagles got a big game this week. I figure I got to focus on that. Uh, again, the Eagles make it a little bit tougher than other teams to get into their building. I don't know why that is, but, you know, it's the Eagles. So I'd like to be there this weekend. We'll see. I'll find out if I get approved today for that. But um, overall, I mean – I'm probably going to be focusing on the Eagles playoff run as long as it lasts these next couple of weeks. It could end by Monday, but there is a game I'm definitely um, eyeing up at the end of the year, Ravens Steelers. I have a feeling that it may not be for the AFC North title, but there's definitely going to be some playoff implications. Playoff implications. Exactly. All right, JK, have a good weekend. We'll get you back here on Bird Street 65 again next week. Thanks for doing it, getting the job done with us today. Absolutely. Jerry Mack, anytime. Jeff Kerr here with us on Birds 365. All right, uh, Jody Mack coming back when? 22 hours from now. Yeah, that's right. We're going nowhere fast. We'll be right back here. John McMullen will be back with me on Birds 365 tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. 
As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.